You are listening to the Purpose of Money podcast, a podcast where we talk about ways to build wealth and create more freedom in your life today. I am your host, Aquania Escarnet. This is season five of the show. I want to thank you so much for rocking with me this entire time and supporting the podcast and all of our guests. Happy New Year. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season. I am excited because we are in the fifth season of the podcast, and I can't believe how far we've come. Last year, we hit 20,000 downloads, and I want to thank you guys. I started the Purpose of Money podcast in January of 2020 well before I knew what was to come. And I just wanted to share entrepreneurship stories and more wealth building tips. And you guys have just amazed me with your feedback, comments. And I love when listeners contact me to tell me about their favorite episodes and what impacted them the most. Keep the comments coming. Definitely leave a five-star review wherever you're listening, and I hope you enjoy this season as much as you have enjoyed those of the past. I wanted to start out season five with a lot of value so that you can get your finances in order in 2023. So we're going to kick off season five with a series of financial educators, coaches. These women are dynamic. So in this first episode, we are going to be with Keontae Jones, but I can't wait for you to hear next week's episode with Erica Young and she will then be followed by Zania Adams. I hope this series helps you get clarity in your finances and helps you figure out your goals for this year and how to crush them. So without further ado, let's hop into this episode and I hope you enjoy the series. Hey guys, welcome back to the Purpose of Money podcast. Today, I'm super excited. We are joined by Giante Jones, and we are going to talk about financial flexibility and why it's important. Giante Jones is a super awesome, dynamic financial coach who, after becoming consumer debt-free, accumulating over a million dollars in net worth and taking the leap from her nine to five, she became the first-hand person you go to for freedom and options that come with having well-managed money. Her advice has been featured on PBS and numerous podcasts, and her clients have said coaching with her has changed their life and made talking about money feel safe and approachable. Giante Jones is a financial coach and founder of Dollars and Change. As a certified personal and executive coach, Giante works with professional women who are ready to create more flexibility in their lives by confidently managing their money and executing a realistic plan to eliminate debt. Through personalized coaching, she provides education, guidance, and accountability to help them have a more fun and fulfillment while still creating a solid foundation to build wealth. Hey girl, hey, welcome to the podcast, Chianti. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm super excited. Most people think because I'm a financial coach that I would be afraid to have a financial coach on my podcast, but I'm actually super excited because you love to talk about money just as much as I do. 
Yes, right, right. Two financial coaches talking about money. Here we go. (laughs) Here we go. So y'all going to get all the gems today. So get ready. I'm super excited to have this discussion because one, I think you're amazing. Two, you're a money nerd just like me. We both met at FinCon, which is one of my favorite conferences. And you are a woman of color. So for those who are not watching the video, she is a beautiful woman of color and she loves natural hair just as much as me. But before we get into how amazing you are and some of your tips and what the heck is financial flexibility, let's first talk about you. And I'm going to take it back just for a minute. So bear with me. But I want to know what was money like for you when you were growing up? Yeah, so I grew up with a single mother. And so I always saw her work, you know, she always had at least two jobs, so multiple jobs to make ends meet. And we, the good thing is that we didn't, struggle like we were we were were stable like we we weren't like jumping from house to house or anything like that so it was a stable environment but I will say that we were you know more moderate income um but I didn't feel like we went without anything I do know that money was a factor in things though like certain things were too maybe certain brands were too expensive or or you know what we might not be able to actually afford that so we she did teach me to live within my means like so I did see her do that and um for me, like growing up, though, I just kind of had like a natural affinity for money. So I remember whenever I would get money, you know, from, from whatever source, I would always do pretty well at managing it myself. And that was just something that I naturally did. And I think part of it was that natural skill. But it also was, I think, not wanting to be a burden to my mother. Like I knew she already had things going on. So I was like, if I could handle it myself or take care of myself, then I would do that a lot of times. And so if I'm going to her asking for money, it's because I really need it because I like my, I don't have enough money to do whatever it is I'm trying to do. So I've always, um, so I don't have like really negative memories of money, but I do feel like there was some scarcity there, but that probably was the situation truly at that time. And I, you know, did have to work through some of that as I got older and that was no longer the situation, right? Okay. (laughs) So what was your aha moment for you when you realized I need to get out of debt? Because, you know, I, I read how you became consumer debt free and then really started to educate people about their money. And you went from debt free to a million in net worth. So I always wonder, like, what was your light bulb or the moment where you hit maybe rock bottom or however you would describe it? Yeah. So for me, like I said, because I was always pretty good at managing money, even if I didn't have all the details or know all the things, I just had kind of general sense of doing healthy things with my money, even if it wasn't like perfectly optimized, it was like moving in the the, the, the direction. So I was fortunate in that regard. So really my moment was December, 2016. <laughs> I remember like December, 2016 is what happened to Kwani. <laughs> and I was, it was performance evaluation time at my job. And I was, you know, I can remember walking over to my boss's office, feeling really good about my, the work I had done for the year. And I had looked at the rating sheet and like knew, you know, felt pretty confident where I would fall out and how much raise I would get. And then just, you know, shortly after getting into the office, I just found myself sitting across the desk from my manager with tears running down my face because my performance evaluation was mediocre and did not reflect the work that I had done for the year. And I just remember feeling so, you know, limited and undervalued and powerless in that moment, you know, because somebody there was somebody else in control choosing, you know, what they wanted to give me and, and limiting me in that way. And I just knew at that point that, okay. You know, I have followed all these rules, done all the right. I was, you know, classic high achiever, following society's rules of what success was, and I just knew at that point that it was going to be up to me to redefine my own path to success and to do something different. And I knew that money was going to be a large part of that. 
Um, interesting. Yeah. That's so yeah, interesting. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I do have a question though. Do you think it was personal? That evaluation? No, I do not think it was personal. I, Cause I could even see like one, my boss saw the way that I reacted, like kind of the disappointment and like devastation, like, wait a minute, what do you mean? I could see almost like her face as well. Like almost feel like she, oh, I made a mistake type of face. And even, even like you she ended up retiring soon after that. So even like the, before she retired, like the next year or whatever it was, she ended up giving me like the highest rating, almost in a way to like make up for the fact that I, I feel like that was her way of saying, like, I kind of messed up last time. And here mm. I just want to make sure I go out and give you, you know, what your you really flowers should. or. <laughs> yeah. Yes, so I like, so I don't think that it was personal to me. I think she, and I, and I actually don't even hold any animosity towards her for it. I think she did what she thought was best at that time. I just did not feel like it was reflective of what I had done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. And it was really like, that was really a blessing in disguise because that is what opened my eyes to do past and possibilities. Before that, I was never thinking about entrepreneurship. I did not have a side hustle. So I was just like, not even thinking about any of that stuff. So it really was like the the thing that helped me to see something bigger, like, and realize, okay, this can't be it. Like there's something more for me than just this. And that led me to entrepreneurship and financial coaching. So like I say, it really ended up being a blessing in disguise. No, that's good. That's good. And I'm glad that you saw it that way. As that's what we call what the silver lining. How long had you been at that job before that incident? Yeah. So I had been there over a decade. So probably like 11, 12 years at that point. And um, it was, it was that good government job too. I was working for the federal government. And so like, you know, I was like, oh, this is, this is what success is. This, I made it. But yeah, I'll be honest, like even before that moment happened, there were times along the way where sometimes I would it would come to mind, like, is is this it? Is there something else for me? Is there something more? And I would just always kind of push that to the back of my mind, like, nope, this is this is success. This is what I was trying to do. And I'll be content and I was comfortable. I was, you know, climbing the ladder and getting promotions and make more money and everything. But after, like, after the fact, I thought about it. I was like, you know, I did have those moments where I kind of questioned. I just, you know, didn't know what to do with it at the time. <laughs> mm, yeah, I I can truly understand what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, and I think it's hard because when you have a good government job, you will have a lot of people tell you you have a good government job. So why would yes. you ever think about leaving? You should yes. retire from that job. You should just yes. ride it out. And sometimes I try to tell people that riding it out is not only painful if you're not happy, but it can also allow you to miss so many opportunities because 10 years, let's say you were 10 years from full retirement is not a short amount of time. It's it's a (laughs) decade of your life. And so, you know, everyone has to make decisions about what's best for them and you have to weigh your pros and cons. But I definitely feel like it's not always as simple as let me just do another 10 years or let me, you know, just finish it out and then I can do whatever I want. Because the reality is a lot of people who do reach full-time, full um, retirement in the government end up doing something else. At least the ones I know, they end up contracting Mm -hmm. or, you know, finding something else to keep busy because either they can't financially really afford to do it for whatever reason. Maybe they made different financial decisions while they were working or they're they're afraid they're going to get bored. 
So they end up doing something else to, you know, keep the mind active and keep things going. So I'm glad you had the aha moment because it led you to where you are now. So I really like to know what was the first side hustle you did and how did you get started? Yeah, so so my first side hustle, I feel like everybody starts with some network marketing type thing, right? So so and actually, I wasn't seeking it out, but because I, I had a, a coworker friend, she was a really good friend, but coworker as well, and she had um, signed up to sell like jewelry, and she knew that I really liked jewelry, and I was like, oh, this is great, but like, and she was like, oh, you should sell it too, and because I liked it, I was like, okay, and and but because this was like, actually, like a few months after I had that, you know, the de- December 2016, and you know, the performance evaluation <laughs> incident. And had that had that not happened before, then I would have definitely been like, no, I'm good. I don't want to do any of that. But my, like I said, my eyes were just open to something different at that point. So I was like, okay, well, I'll do this. And it was more, it was less about I wasn't trying to like build a team with this company and all that kind of stuff. It was more about me doing something outside of my comfort zone and doing something different, kind of taking that first step into entrepreneurship and putting myself out there in a different way. Um, so that was the first thing I did was selling jewelry <laughs> as part of network marketing. I love it. Um, How long did yeah. it last? So that, that was early 2017 when I came across that. And it wasn't until late 2017. So almost like a year after the performance evaluation incident is when I discovered financial coaching. And so, and I was like, okay, this is it. Like, cause when, when the moment happened with the performance evaluation, like my eyes were opened, but I didn't know what that meant. Like, I was like, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but I know that there's something else. And so I just allowed myself to be open, but it was like I said, about a year later, I discovered financial coaching. I knew that was going to be it. I did both of them for a little while, but then I ended up you know, not doing the jewelry stuff anymore because it was just taken take, taken away from me being able to focus on the financial coaching. I like it. How did you discover you were good with finances enough? Well, good enough to teach other people to help other people. Um, how'd you find your first client or your first solidified, this is what I'm supposed to be doing moment? Once I, like, so I, my background is in like my degrees in finance, like business finance. Like I was working in the banking and finance industry for years, like I was good with my own personal finances. So I knew I was good with money. And for a long time, like growing up, I thought like everybody was like that. It wasn't until like I started talking to friends as I got older, maybe here's, you know, somebody, a coworker say something that I was like, oh, not everybody, you know, managing money the same way that I do or thinks about it the same way that I do. And like the people are really struggling with it. So but coming out of school, I didn't want to be like a financial advisor, planner, or, you know, an investment banker. I've always liked more of the day-to-day money management, the fundamentals of money management. And so, like I said, financial coaching immediately resonated with me, but it was a difference between, I had to like learn, how do I teach somebody else something? Like when you have like a kind of a natural thing that you do, like trying to break that down and say, okay, how do I teach somebody else how to do this too? You really have to like unpack some things to figure that out. I did take a shortcut. I found a program, a financial coach academy where that, which was more focused on the business side, but that was created by another financial coach who had been in the industry for years. So that shortcutted my pathway to creating the business, but she also shared like her structure of how she taught people stuff. And so that was really helpful because that it was very different from me doing it myself to being able to teach other people how to, you know, get similar results. Right, right. No, that makes sense. And I've always tried to tell people you can 
either hire a mentor and learn from a mentor or you can learn from mistakes, but either way it's going to cost you. And a lot of times mentorship will accelerate your success because they're going to tell you all the things they did to mess up. So you don't do those things exactly, <laughs> and exactly. help you actually avoid mistakes. Right. So um, I love mentors. I love when you have a guide who can kind of help you set up everything. And I think it's important to understand that in this financial literacy space, there's a ton of stuff we give away for free, social media tips, maybe even when we go live. But to be honest, like there comes a point where you have to have an investment, right? You have to make a personal investment in your future. And sometimes it means you need to hire someone to help you get to the next level or to figure out the next step. And that's where a good financial coach can be useful. So I want to talk about one of the things that you mentioned about financial flexibility. What is financial flexibility and why is it important? Yeah. So financial flexibility, this is a word that I've used a lot because this was a key part of me being able to, you know, take the leap from a good government job when I was, when I finally got to a place where I was ready to do it, like being, being, having some space. So I think about financial flexibility as giving yourself space. It's like the, and it's like, a, it's a degree, it's a degree, it's like levels to it, right? Like, so as you kind of build your financial um, stability, security, freedom, like it's different at different levels, you have different degrees of financial flexibility, which means there's, it's like your ability to choose and adjust, reprioritize and take advantage of opportunities as they arise without money being a hindrance. And it's like the, so you can make financial movements and choices with ease. So like not having money be that barrier to the things that you really want to do is about you having financial flexibility. And so that's really what it's about. And there's certain things that you can do to, to, to give yourself that, right? So that's what financial flexibility is all about. Okay, I like it. And I think it's important to kind of process that for yourself. So what are some of your tips for someone who wants to get on the path to financial flexibility? What should they do first, second, and third? Yes. So I will definitely say when I look back at my journey, it, it wasn't about being perfect, right? They were, looking back, I'm definitely like, oh, I didn't, even, I didn't know better than to do that. And But what I was, was consistent. So consistency is more important than perfection. So one thing that was really important on this journey was like minimizing my debt. And so like, I'm not one to say, oh, all debt is bad. I know there's some people who have that view. I don't think that, but I do think you should be strategic at how you use your debt and like what you're using it for and use it responsibly. So that was something that I always did. Like, so if I took on some debt, I, I would have in mind, you know, what is this for? How much is it? How long is it going to take me to pay off? How much is the interest rate on it? So like just knowing what I was getting into to the best of my ability at the time, at least I was having kind of a plan to get it paid off early, you know, so that I wouldn't have to carry it. Also just building savings purpose purposefully. So I would always save. And actually in a way I was like an oversaver at times. Cause like I would just kind of save to save. But like one thing I have learned is to be purposeful, more purposeful with what you're saving for, because then once you get to a certain level, you want to start investing that money, which is another thing that you want to do is to invest, to actually grow your money and have it work for you and to build wealth. So definitely being strategic about your debt, like I said, not all debt is bad, but like just knowing what you're doing and making a, an informed decision and strategic decision about it, purposefully saving so that you have an emergency fund to fall back on if something happens to your income. And for those other expenses, like a lot of times people like unexpected expenses will throw people off. But if you think about it, not all of them are unexpected. Like you just didn't plan for them. So like that's important, like to plan for them. If you can 
set up a savings bucket for it or sinking fund for it, um, you know, to put a little money aside at, so that when it comes up, then you can take care of it. That's purposefully saving for those things and then um, investing to actually grow the, your money instead of just having it sit there in that account. Once you get to where you need to be with that, start investing it so that it works for you. Oh my goodness. Girl, say that part again for the people in the back talking about saving on purpose so that those not so unexpected expenses do not throw you off. It's so true. Like um, for us, we are in Virginia have a luxury tax on all vehicles. So even if you don't have a luxury vehicle, you're going to pay a car tax, right? And those, those are actually twice a year. And you have the option when the first payment is due in May to pay the full amount for the year, or you can pay in May and pay in October. But it's like, people forget, like, wait, I gotta pay taxes on my car. And I'm like, but you knew that, like, that's a Virginia tax. We, you we know, know about those things, right? We can plan yeah. for those things. <laughs> and you're like, but I are, you know, and then you hear so many excuses like, well, I bought the car. Why am I still paying for it? Well, because that's how Virginia works. But it's interesting because, you know, we have savings in other areas. We might have the car tax, but in, in comparison to other states, you know, our income tax is lower. So it's like they're letting you take home more money, but they're also expecting you to put some of that towards the tax for yeah. having the car, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I think that's so key is that we know they're coming. We know this is happening, you know, but we just kind of say, I'm just trying to get to tomorrow or I'm just trying to get to next month or, and then you look up and you're like, shoot, I got to pay that tax again. Um, there it is. It's coming. You know? <laughs> um, or annual fees. Like I always tell people, you know, budget monthly for the things you pay for once a year. And some yes, people choose to pay car insurance once a year, but they could actually budget for it monthly. And then when that money comes out, you're not like, oh my God, I wasn't expecting that to come out of my account. You know, I had big plans. Well, well we're already set up and ready to, I, right. I, agree. I, I have the same approach that I use with my clients too, Aquania. Like, let's, let's, we turn this into a monthly expense. That's where those like savings buckets or some people call them sinking yeah. funds or mm -hmm. you put it, if you know that stuff is coming up, like periodically or randomly, like just put some money so that it, it's not so disruptive in that month or like in, when the time comes, like you like, okay, I got that. I'll take care of that. Mm -hmm. You keep moving. <laughs> so what's your opinion about when is the best time to invest? So let me, let me be clear on this question because a lot of times when you say the word invest, people automatically assume the stock market. But I want to be clear that there's many ways to invest. Like, for example, next week I'm hosting or by the time this airs, this would have happened, but you can definitely get the replays, um, a real estate challenge, right? A free real estate challenge and not just buying your own home, but buying rental properties or investing in hotels, i.e. hotel owner t-shirt or mm -hmm. investing in Airbnbs. So I want to know what's your opinion. If somebody is working, and they have a good job, steady income, and they are contributing to their retirement and they have an emergency fund, at what point do you think they can be preparing themselves to invest outside of the employer 401k? Yeah, I mean, if they have all those things in place where they're already contributing to retirement, they already have, you know, their savings built up. And I will say as long as they have gotten rid of like any high interest debts, like interest debt, like credit cards and those type of things, where it's, you know, just manageable debt, maybe mortgage, maybe some student loans or something like that, that are going to be a lower rate. I would say that's 
you're you're ready. You're ready to invest. Whether that's like I said, there's different types of investments besides just the stock market. So either investing there or or they say in real estate or some other way. Um, I think that's a great time to invest. Um, yeah. that's the next step, right? Mm-hmm. Let's let's grow this now. We've we've done like the foundational things. It's time to grow. Oh yeah, I agree. What was your particular path? Um, we talked about you have a million in net worth. So if you're willing to share, you don't have to give details of the percentages and numbers, but like what types of things did you focus on to reach that milestone? So for me personally, I'm more like a lazy investor, to be honest. (laughs) So like, so for me, like a lot of that was through my um, retirement savings. So like I, you know, really contributed there. I was always consistently contributing there. I would increase it over time till I got to the point where it was maxing it out. And actually with being federal government, I had two retirement vehicles to be able to save. And well, they still had the same maximum, you know, the, the, the IRS limit on it, but I had two vehicles I could invest in um, being a federal employee. And so I just got to the point where I maxed those out. I did have some real estate over time. So I bought my first house when I was 22, like a townhouse. When um, my husband and I got married, we um, bought another single family home and we rented out both of our prior houses. So I rented out my townhouse. He had like a smaller single family home. We rented that out. So we did that for, and that was right around like still coming out of the recession and everything. So we had those as rental property, but we got to a point after probably about five years, we just decided that we didn't want to be landlords anymore. Like, so we did that. But um, so for us, we just decided to sell both of those and we then used it to really flip it into another per, um, primary residence for ourselves and, you know, invest in some of that. But that's kind of been our path. And But I would say a, a large part of being able to have a net worth like that was the contributing and investing in the retirement accounts, but it also was keeping debt low, right? Like mm-hmm. not, not having, that's part of your net worth when you calculate that. It's like not having a significant amount of debt or having good equity in the home when we bought it and everything. So that was part of that, what contributed to the net worth as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I tell people all the time because some people, when I meet them, they say, oh, I don't know how to invest. I'm not an investor. And I say, well, if you're contributing to your work retirement account, you are an investor. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) You need to give credit where credit is due. Like that is in the stock market. Most 401ks, 403bs, whatever your ABC of your retirement account is called, you are investing. Okay. Um, yes. So I definitely think that's instrumental in uh, harping on and just saying, you know, again, for the people who are listening, you are an investor if you are contributing to your work retirement account. Now, if you're at an employer who doesn't offer this benefit and you um, would like to save for retirement, there are also vehicles you can save in outside of an employer if you are eligible according to the IRS guidelines. So we have the Roth individual retirement account. We have traditional individual retirement accounts, also known as IRAs. And then you could always invest in the stock market. It's not necessarily funds protected and reserved for retirement, but it's still money that can make money and do some work for you. So guys, don't short sell the benefit of investing in your work retirement account, especially if your job is giving you any type of matching funds, right? Any type of free money for you making a contribution, (laughs) right? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So that's really, really good. So I do want to ask, because this is a how-to podcast in a lot of ways, I want to give my listeners tips on how to Take okay. the leap from good government job or any job <laughs> to full-time retire a uh, full-time entrepreneurship. Girl, I done retired you. So <laughs> please retire me. Please retire. Me. <laughs> I'm working on it. 
So tell us, what are some of the things that you and your husband did to successfully leap? Or did you just wake up and say, I quit? What was your... What was your exit strategy? That's so far outside of my personality. Yo, I just want y'all to understand that I'm super risk adverse, right? So like if I can get to the place where I took this leap from this good government job, like if there's something that you really want to do, you can figure out how to do it too. But I just want to point out though, this didn't happen overnight. So like like I said, the the, uh, performance evaluation incident happened in 2016. I didn't leave my job until January of 2022. So I just left this year, earlier this year. Um, and I'll be honest, like the money piece, that was obviously part of it. I mean, I had to, you know, build up a, a savings runway to be able to, so I had some space to be able to build my business and cover my expenses during that time. Um, we also made sure that we had outside life insurance. And I know you're doing a lot of insurance, but we had outside life insurance because at that point, everything, you know, up to a couple of years ago, everything was through my job. And I, and I knew that you know, once I left, I wanted to make sure that we had all that situated. Life insurance, actually, and I also did disability insurance as well um, while I was still working. So that's a tip. Do it while you're still working so that they can base it on your income at that time. Okay. Um, another thing we did is that we took out a um, home equity line on our house. So we had, like I said, we had equity in, in our house. Um, and so we was able to do that um, so that if we needed to have, some, needed to tap into some funds, we had some available. And I'll be honest, like the biggest shift for me, though, over that time period was just the mindset of going a different path. Like it just took me a lot of work to say, okay, I'm going to leave this six figure job to go out here in the unknown and not know what's going to happen. Right. And so that was really the bigger part. The money piece, I could, you know, being a financial person, I could figure that out, navigate that, all that kind of stuff. But it was just the mindset shift of going a different path and doing something different. What will people think? What if it doesn't work? Um, all that kind of stuff that I really had to work through to get to a place where I'm like, all right. But just like you were saying, like 10 years is a long time. I I think the pandemic, I, I was already thinking about leaving before the pandemic, but I think the pandemic even put it in more perspective because you could see how fast something could change. Like you don't know. And I was like, you know, life is too short to be like worrying and, and, and worried about worried about things and regretting not doing something. So it became, came to a point where my, fear of regret was greater than my fear of the uncertainty of taking that leap. And I just felt like I have to do this. Um, worst case scenario, would I go back and get a job that, and even that's not like a worst case scenario because I would, I would have grown so much as a person in that process that it, you know, that would have been worth it in itself. But I wasn't even halfway to retirement. I was like, I, here I am ready to go. And I'm supposed, I'm supposed to wait another 20 years. I can't do that. Right. I was like, I, I can't do it. That's a long time. Girl, girl, look, sometimes we got to just say, you know what? Today (laughs) is the day. No, but I I sort of picked up that you're risk adverse. So I'm not surprised that you built up savings. (laughs) We would be irresponsible financial coaches. No, I'm just kidding. Look, listen, everyone has their own path. I know entrepreneurs who took the leap and they just sank or swim. And they went into debt and then they got themselves back out and they have seven figure businesses now. I know entrepreneurs who paced themselves and they, you know, did the dual role in the job, in the business for several years before they take the leap. It is totally up to you. I think it's about being comfortable. But what you said about mindset is so real because so many people in the government environment are going to tell you this is the best thing on earth. You shouldn't even be trying to go outside. Just put your feet up. Maybe, you know, do the minimum to get by. 
Then there are other people who were like, no, if you want to be a GS-15, you got to work, 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 work. You got to find this position, find that, supervise him, supervise her. It can be an environment that will make you scared. Right. Well, the the mentality there will have you. I mean, I used to think like when people would like venture off and leave and go, they decide to take take a leave and go to like another job outside of my agency. You know, people would just make comments like, well, they'll be back, which a lot of times they did come back. But I just commend them for having the courage (laughs) to do something different, like to leave, like. You sitting there saying that about somebody when you won't even ever leave, when you probably don't even really want to be here like that, right? You mm-hmm. you giving up on your dreams or whatever you want to do. So like, how can you sit there and knock them for trying something different, going outside their comfort zone? The mentality there is definitely here for life, never go anywhere. You know, there's nothing better than this. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, mm, there's a lot of people outside of here doing all right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yes, doing all right. And we just sometimes we just have to have faith and and know that we are skilled experts in what we do. And Mm -hmm. if we don't make it at what we're trying to do, we can always go back to those skills and maybe that job. So I do think that the possibilities are there. It's just a matter of, are you willing to take advantage of them? So this has been like a really entertaining, fun conversation. (laughs) Thank you so much. But I always have one signature question that I ask all my guests. The name of the podcast is called The Purpose of Money. So I want to know, what's your purpose for money? Oh, so I would say my purpose for money is definitely, well, flexibility, right? Flexibility and options, right? Like, I really feel like money is not, money is not for the sake of money. Like, you you build wealth to give yourself options. Like, give yourself options to do the things that you want to do, spend your time the way you want to spend your time, do things that are meaningful meaningful to you, have the impact you want to have give the way you want to give, support who you want to support. And I think that's really what having money is about. It's Money is a means, it's a tool to be able to help you do the things that you really want to do in your life. And so that's what I would say the purpose of money is, is to give you options and flexibility. Love it. Very, very good. Very good answer. So before we go, I want you to tell my listeners, where can they find you and follow you so they can hang out some more? Yeah, let's hang out, guys. So you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. I'm at Dollars and Change Coach. Um, and on um, YouTube, I'm, I'm ramping up my YouTube channel. So you guys check me out there and subscribe. <laughs> um, I'm at Dollars and Change Coach on there. This just started handles. So at Dollars and Change, no, I'm sorry, at Dollars and Change. Did I say that? At Dollars and mm-hmm. Change. And my website is um, dollarsandchange.com. You can go there and find out more about financial coaching and schedule a free consultation with me interested in services let's do it so you heard that guys free consultation website instagram and youtube go ahead and check it out i will make sure to drop all the links in the show notes until next time keep building generational wealth thank you for listening to the purpose of money podcast for more resources and information check out my website thepurposeofmoney.com And while you're there, please sign up for our newsletter so you have the latest information on new episodes and blog posts. Until next time, keep creating freedom in your life today.